This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Thursday, March 2nd. The weather forecast for today, cloudy, chance of snow early this morning, maybe some freezing drizzle, but today's high ultimately is going to be plus 5 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Bonnie Crombie says she's too busy with Mississauga to run for the Liberal leadership. Number two, the federal conservatives opening up a lead on the Liberals. Number three, the Trudeau Foundation is going to return a controversial donation. Number four, Metrolinks backing off developing a Don Valley rail yard. And number five, cell phone providers hike their roaming fees. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.09 is the time. It's zero degrees on a day where we're trucking for a high of five. So the big melt continues. Although there is a storm apparently on the horizon. It'll be short-lived, but it could be a bit of an issue. Uh, we'll probably spend more time talking about that tomorrow because uh, it is Friday night into Saturday. And also, I just, you know, my read on everything I've taken a look at so far would suggest that it's not going to be that much of a complicating factor. But we're always keeping our eyes on the weather. So uh, stuff to talk about today. It's um, I was going to say it's a bit of a dog's breakfast, which is not entirely true. It's just that there's a bunch of stories, none of which sort of leap out as like, this is going to completely fundamentally change the rest of your life moving forward. Um, so choosing the first one that I talk about, I'm kind of going through the stack and thinking, you know, any one of the top five I could probably get to. But one of the ones I do want to emphasize is this announcement from Metrolinks, because We've talked about this story quite a few times on the show. And I guess, if anything, this is proof that sometimes activism works. Sometimes opposing a new project is not nimbyism. It's opposing a bad idea. Metrolinks, and what's hilarious is it was apropos, uh, you know, it was because of something else altogether, another file that I was talking about this story this week, but it was on the same page where I was saying, you know, here's an example of something that might be a bad idea that activists are opposing. And maybe the activists aren't just a bunch of whiny tree huggers. Maybe they have a point. So Metrolinks was planning on building a marshalling yard in the Don Valley. The whole idea was this, build a couple of rail spurs. And then actually, in order to support that, they would have had to build parking spaces for the workers and um, office or, or workspace for the workers as well. So they were going to be building up in the Don Valley where the sort of overall objective over the last 20, 30 years has been, let's clean up the river, let's take the Don Valley and turn it over to hikers and to cyclists and to adventurists. Let's not hyper-industrialize the Don Valley. However, for Metrolinks, it made a great deal of practical sense to build this marshalling yard where they were, where they were going to park trains that they could feed into the system when they need more trains during rush hour. 
And, you know, it, that makes perfect sense. If you're sitting there with paperwork and you're an engineer and you're running a rail company, it makes perfect sense that at the, the peak demand, instead of having to bring a train in from Milton, you know, you bring in, you just feed a, a train in on the Don Valley underneath the Bloor overpass. However, that would have meant some considerable disturbance, to say the least, in the Don Valley. So all that to say that the uh, that Metrolinx has backed off the plan. So um, I guess if there's any conclusion to be drawn here is that sometimes things framed as progress may actually be a bad idea. Sometimes sacrificing land or wilderness is also a bad idea. I think this feeds into the debate over the Greenbelt, for example, and the debate that mostly driven by me lately, uh, the debate over the idea that pretty well every building in Toronto has to be demolished and replaced by a taller building, um, that it's not anti-progress. It's not, um, trying to think, you know, you're not a dukabor for saying that occasionally something is not a great idea. Another story this morning would be Bonnie Crombie. Now, I'm not sure. Maybe I should, uh, Bonnie Crombie and I were going back and forth yesterday on uh, DMs. Um, so I'm going to have to ask her to explain herself a little bit more, I think. And I know she listens to the show because she was actually DMing me about stuff that was said about her on the show. But she says she is, quote, entirely focused on her responsibilities as Mississauga's mayor. This in light of murmurings that she's being recruited by the Liberal Party. And we have some audio of this, Nick, yes? All right, let's listen. Earlier this week, we celebrated a $500 million investment in innovation at AstraZeneca and 500 new employees. So there's a lot to do here at this city. I love my job. I'm passionate about Mississauga. I love being the mayor. And that's where I'm singularly focused right now. All right. Well, then she didn't deny that she would think about it, though. She just said, I really like the job I have now. I mean, I could say that. But if uh, NBC came knocking and said, how'd you like an hour long TV show? I I think, OK, well, I mean, I'm singularly focused on this. What? How much? OK. Um, now, there are a lot of reasons, and this is why it'll end up on the agenda for the roundtable at 745 this morning. There are a lot of reasons why Bonnie Crombie would just decide to stay in Mississauga. When you have a job, you tend to want to keep that job and not face the jeopardy of a new job. Um, I would have to think that the liberals would need to promise her that she would become the leader as opposed to, would you like to run? And then if you become the leader, it has, it's worked in the past. I mean, people have rebuilt political parties. Uh, in particular, one example would be Justin Trudeau, who arrived, the liberals were on their knees, they were a mess, and everybody said, oh, great, now the, the kid in his short pants has arrived on the scene. What's he going to do? Well, what's he going to do? He's going to rebuild the party, he's going to recruit some star candidates, and he's going to become the Prime Minister of Canada. to say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy Friday, Junior, as we like to call it here, one day before uh, the start <laughs> of your weekend. Uh, let's start with this one. We know that, you know, uh, the Liberal Party kind of failed, or members of it, to try to get Mike Schreiner, uh, leader of the Green Party, to take over. But now there's rumor that Bonnie Crombie, Mississauga mayor, should take that leadership role, even though she says she's entirely focused on Mississauga. 
Everybody was on top of Bonnie Crombie yesterday asking her about these rumors, and she said she is, quote, entirely focused on her responsibilities as Mississauga's mayor. I have a lot on my plate right here in Mississauga. She said, I love my city. I love my job as mayor. That's not necessarily a denial. I think she's kind of playing footsie mm. with this. And it's going to be a bit like Kremlinology on the weekend. Uh, she's delivering a speech at a liberal gathering, and I guess people will pour through that word by word by word to see whether or not she's actually interested in taking the bait. Mm, yeah, it's interesting how these uh, political rumors start. You're just not sure the source these days. Is it Twitter? Is it, you know, yeah. other politicians? All right, moving on to this. Uh, we know Metrolinx uh, for the uh, Crosstown LRT, but now they're doing an about-face, a complete turnaround on that GO facility planned for the Don Valley uh, area. They're not going to be involved in the design anymore. This is an interesting development, actually, because a lot of people accused, uh, it was, you know, activists all over Toronto, but a lot of locals near the Don Valley who were complaining about the idea of creating extra spurs on the go tracks and a workstation. So there would be trains standing by in the valley. And people said, well, you know, we're supposed to be developing that as parkland. We're supposed to be de-industrializing it. Mm. So they were accused, the opponents, of being NIMBYs. But now Metrolinx, without saying why, has announced that they're no longer going to go ahead with the project. So for me, it's just evidence that, you know, sometimes complaining about the idea of mm. some sort of a development is not nimbyism. Maybe it's just that it wasn't a great idea to begin with. Yeah, always try, right? <laughs> okay, and John, uh, turning to this uh, new Nanos poll, uh, seat projections, I should say, show that the Conservatives uh, have a clear advantage after the Liberals slip. Yeah, this poll takes a considerable amount of unpacking, but the, the broad strokes are this. If a federal election took place today, the federal conservatives would win that election. Here's the deal, though. If, you get, if we get into seat projections, we're talking about 112 seats for the conservatives, 96 for the liberals, and 22, uh, or actually uh, fewer than that. I don't have the solid figure for the NDP. But they also found that 77 of the seats were too close to call. Hmm. One of the problems for the federal conservatives is even if they lead in the overall vote, they tend to have extraordinary margins in some ridings, while the liberals tend to win some other ridings with very, very small margins. So the liberals may still have game, but I think this has to put the fear of God into Justin Trudeau and company. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be some kind of a, re a reflection of the climate today. Uh, okay, so we know that Indigo was the victim of some hackers last month, and they're saying that they won't pay ransom now. Now for some stolen employee data, which uh, the hackers say is set to be released, I guess, the same time as the NHL trade deadline tomorrow. Yeah, and, and you know, if uh, your data is released from Indigo, then everybody's going to know where you got your throw pillows. But uh, <laughs> it's a Russian operation called Lockbit, and they've been trying to shake down uh, Indigo. Indigo has decided they are not going to surrender, given we cannot be assured, they say, that any ransom payment would not end up in the hands of terrorists or others on sanctions lists. Indigo has determined it would be inappropriate to pay the ransom. There's an additional aspect to all of this, which is that the current sanctions against Russia would make it impossible for Indigo to even consider making this payment. But it's also an, another example of a company that's being held hostage that has decided that they simply will not give in. Mm. 
Okay, and that definitely sends a message. Uh, okay, John, we always end with something that chips away at my cynicism. It's this one showing the kindness of strangers <laughs> and community. An Ontario woman offers a homeless man a job on the spot, basically to work on her farm. This happened in Newcastle, Ontario, where Danielle McDuff, who owns a farm, met Brian Bannister, and he was collecting change and reading a book on a street corner, and she decided, hey, listen, I got some stuff I need done on my farm. Why don't you come to my farm? And this has become a friendship. He's been helping her look after her goats, cows, horses, and dogs, and she got him her, his first haircut in Aww. two years, helped him get a phone. Uh, he's uh, on track to get provincial support for whatever he's in line for and people have set up a GoFundMe campaign he's now on track to have a permanent home and continue working at the farm wow what a story and I read about this and this man apparently had a lot of tragedies and losses in his life and had just basically decided to give up when he encountered this woman so good for them both all right my heart's a little warmer John Moore News Talk 1010 thanks so much we'll chat with you tomorrow <laughs> have a great day well I'm glad I can warm up Jennifer Sheng's heart. I didn't know it was cold. She's uh, such a nice person to deal with. And uh, I mean, not only do we hook up every morning on television, but, you know, four days out of five, I'll go over to CP24 after our show just to say hi to the whole crew. And she's a very nice lady. So um, just looking at the, the roster of other stories that I want to get to, one of them would certainly be and this is going to be on the round table. I'm not absolutely convinced. And, you know, people will say I'm just trying to uh, protect Justin Trudeau. I have no relationship with Justin Trudeau. I don't really care. I think his voice annoys me as much as it annoys everybody else. I am never about the leader or the party. I'm always about policy. But at the same time, I am not terribly convinced that Canadians are all that preoccupied by this Chinese interference business and got an email from our friend Joe Warmington this morning at the Toronto Sun, where he pointed to the fact that his column, which is about the prosthetic breast teacher in Oakville, is number one at the Toronto Sun. And there's nothing about Trudeau or Chinese election interference, even in the top five. And I think that is probably in keeping with the fact that, you know, in talk radio, you come in and of course, politics is usually the number one thing on the list. So you start compiling a list of what are we going to talk about this morning? What are the debatables? What are the things that people can fight over? And that's not always the things that when you get to the office place or to the mall this morning or coffee or where you call a friend where you're going to, you know, the first thing you say is, can you believe this election interference? So I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just convinced, you know, it's been since 2015 that people have been trying to find the scandal that is going to wreck Justin Trudeau and company, and they never seem to be able to land on it. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Thursday morning. Zero degrees on a day where we're going to five. So, as I was mentioning in the last half hour, the big melt continues. Still pretty... Well, it, it all depends on what you're up to, right? If you can throw on a pair of boots and head out and you're a pedestrian, you're fine. If you've got a 15-pound dog who's 10 inches high and he's got very fuzzy undercarriage 
then it's still wet and muddy enough out there that it's kind of a pain in the butt. That stuff is sort of coming off the table day by day, but I was just checking in with uh, Bill Coulter, meteorologist at CP24, and he says we're going to have another dump of snow that's going to seem remarkably familiar because it's going to follow the exact same pattern. Uh, this is going to be tomorrow, Friday, probably around 4.35 in the afternoon, just like the last one. And it'll be an overnight affair. You'll wake up to anywhere between 5 and 10 centimeters on the ground on Saturday. But because of where we're trucking as we move into the month of March, it's going to be wet and soppy and muddy. And the snow's probably going to be gone by the end of the weekend. Anyway, we'll keep our eyes on that particular system for you because once again it becomes the same situation we've been through twice before in the last two weeks which is snow hits during the afternoon drive home so things get a little slippy wake up in the morning you gotta clean off the car you're probably gonna have to shovel and then it all melts off rather quickly so this uh, latest nanos poll is kind of hard to interpret i think the top line would simply be that people seem to be getting kind of tired and grumpy about Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. They are ready to take a bet and maybe elect Pierre Polyev as the Prime Minister, but the seat count and whether or not it's a majority or minority is a great big question mark. Because if we take a look at the numbers as projected, the modeling projects the Conservatives would win 112 seats in the House of Commons. Now, I was looking at that and I thought, it doesn't even begin to make sense because there are 338 seats in the House of Commons. But here's the jeopardy in all of this. It is that Nanos has decreed that 77 ridings are too close to call. So that means with a projected 112 seats for the Conservatives, 96 seats for the Liberals, that we really don't know who would win the next election. It's worth remembering that in the last two election cycles, more people voted Conservative than liberal, but the liberals won both elections with minority governments. So currently the liberals have 157 seats, conservatives have 121. Uh, and yeah, the seat projection is, I was just doing the numbers during the pause there, 112 for the conservatives, 96 for the liberals, 19 for the NDP, 32 for the Bloc Québécois. But the problem is 77 ridings too close to call. So doesn't provide you with a lot of guidance, but I would say if you're taking a pulse that we've reached a point that a lot of our pundits have been pointing to where people get tired of, you know, with all the froth and exuberance that they elected Justin Trudeau to a majority government in 2015, eventually you get tired of your prime minister. We got tired of um, Stephen Harper. I'm trying to think of previous people because nobody ever got tired of Jacques Dachian because he just stepped aside. Um, People, I don't know that they got tired of Paul Martin, much as I admire Paul Martin as a, a man of great principle and actually of some degree of significance when he was prime minister. Um, but I don't think Canadians were ever fully on board for Paul Martin. He kept on winning fewer and fewer votes as each election cycle continued until he was turfed in favor of Stephen Harper. When is the election? Hard to say. Yesterday. It was yesterday, Joe Christiano. Yes, that uh, Jugmeet Singh was on the show, or was it the day before that? This week's been a blur. It was Tuesday. It was on Tuesday? Okay. So we had a conversation with Jugmeet Singh, and I find him to be a very affable fellow. 
I'm just not absolutely convinced that he's actually a major federal player. And one of the problems would be this. Whenever the NDP signs on to backstop a liberal government, which they've been doing since the 1960s, they get things done. I mean, we got a childhood dental program uh, thanks to this, uh, whatever it's called, support and comply or whatever the heck it is, this deal. It always sounds like something like an engineering project. Um, so they've, they've managed to squeeze things out of the liberals, but the one thing they can't squeeze out of the liberals is votes apparently, because the NDP is always backstopping a liberal government and ultimately paying the price for when people get tired of that liberal government and the forever question, whenever Jagmeet Singh steps up to a microphone and complains about the liberals would be, well, why are you married to them? You know, this is, this is like the guy in the office place who complains about his wife for 20 years. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't like her, maybe you should divorce her. No, 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 no. Okay, well, then stop complaining about it. What an incredible tragedy. And there's something almost, I mean, antique might not be the right word, but this um, Greek train crash. This is the sort of thing that used to happen in the 19th century. And it happened, you know, it has happened a few times in the last hundred years or so. But with technology, there is no excuse for two trains being on the same track headed toward each other. And that's what happened. It was a passenger train and a freight train. And somehow they ended up, you know, careening toward each other at incredible speed. They slammed into each other. The wreckage was so... Um, significant that some of the first cars in the passenger train were just destroyed. And as a matter of fact, without being too grotesque, you know, the bodies, people were not only killed, but they were mutilated in the crash. And I guess if there's only one, you know, positive takeaway from this, I really admire the transportation minister for simply on the first day that this crash happens saying, okay, that's it. This is unacceptable. I'm out of here. So the transportation minister said, when something this tragic happens, it's impossible to continue as if nothing has happened. So he stepped aside. Mentioning before we took a short break that a private member's bill went down to defeat at Queen's Park, probably not all that surprising, but I think it's still worth referencing. The private member's bill from Liberal MPP Stephanie Bowman was that the government would not mandate, but would encourage corporate boards to be more diverse. And I get it. We've discussed this on, on the show and our pundits have weighed in. And for me, the dividing line is if you were going to mandate it, then maybe you're meddling a little too much with private business. If you're going to encourage it, then what's the downside to that? And for all those people who say, well, you know, why, why, what are we going to do? Put some incompetent racial minority on a board? No, we're going to go out and seek out the people who are already established as success stories in the business community. And we're going to flag some who may actually be uh, a gender minority, racial minority, uh, who are women, because there is no excuse as to why boards are not representative of the greater community. It's not that those people are better qualified, it's that you didn't try to seek somebody else out. And I like the example that somebody cited. I wish I could remember the pundit who was uh, identifying this. But 
There was a time, for example, when the Toronto police force was like 100% white and like 80% Protestant. And that did not represent the community. It just represented the fact that the people who were on the hiring committees liked to hire people who looked like them or who they knew or who came from the same neighborhood as they did. And so when you ultimately mandated at the TTC and the police force and the fire department that you had to perhaps be more representative of the community, people started going out and hiring. And, you know, it's not that somebody who comes from South Asia doesn't know how to drive a streetcar. It's that you never ask them. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, so let's talk about those roaming fees. And I was listening to a report yesterday where they said two of the major cell phone providers are hiking their roaming, roaming fees. I'm driving around in the car listening to this, and I'm thinking, don't be bell, don't be bell, don't be bell, don't be bell. First of all, because it's my company that I work for. Second of all, because it's my provider. Well, it is bell. Uh, Telus and Bell customers are going to be paying higher roaming fees when they are outside of the country. And I kind of mixed on this because, you know, when I go away, when I was in California a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to call home two and three times a day. And I got a text with the people I'm traveling with. So I'm going to need my cell phone service where I am. But I'm always a little resentful of the fact that there's this package that you are, you know, you get when you land at the airport, you get a text, right? And it says, do you want to sign in for this? Do you want this? Are you going to do this? Actually, I'm permanently on record at the website that when I'm abroad, then I'm going to be roaming. And it's whether or not I send that first text or whether or not I make that first call. And then it's kind of like a drop fee, right? It's like when you get in a taxi, and I don't even know what the drop fee in a taxi is anymore, but it's like, even if you're going one block, this is your minimum. Here's the starting point. And so, yeah, you make one phone call and boom, you're in for the day. And I'm, I'm always a little resentful of the cost of that. And I don't know if I can end up in a meeting at 901. They don't tell us what to say here at Bell, but I'm sure they're not. The C-suite isn't thrilled if I complain about cell phone fees. Uh, but beginning Wednesday, so yesterday, TELUS charging customers $14 a day when roaming in the U.S. That's an increase from $12, $16 a day if you're roaming internationally. Bell bumping roaming prices today. The company's Roam Better feature for U.S. will increase from $13 or to $13 from $12 a day internationally increasing to $16 a day from 15. And then they have all their subsidiaries, right? I've never quite understood that business. Like uh, Telus runs uh, Kudo. Um, Rogers has, the very first cell phone I ever got was Fido. And uh, that was a Rogers company. I ended up coming over to Bell because I wanted an iPhone. And at the time, this was years ago, uh, Bell was the only company that was supporting iPhones. And I've had an iPhone ever since, and I've been with Bell ever since. And, you know, for sake of disclosure, incidentally, if you work for Bell, you do get a discount from Bell Services. So that's kind of a nice company perk. I love, you know, this controversy about um, this right-wing politician from Germany. And she has been notorious for several years. I mean... 
if you're the kind of person who's on the receiving end of people sending you political stuff and especially videos and like, you got to check this link up. Um, everybody knows who she is because Justin Trudeau appeared before the European Parliament and then she and one other parliamentarian who are known troublemakers got up and delivered scathing speeches about Justin Trudeau and Canadians who kind of celebrate the idea of anybody abroad denouncing their prime minister were delighted and they shared the video. So she came to Canada and she made numerous appearances and she had lunch with three conservative MPs who not only had lunch with her, but took a great big picture of her, shared it on social media. And then lo and behold, when everybody kicked back and said, what are you doing having lunch with a, a hard right winger with some extraordinarily unpalatable views, they said, we don't know who she is. We didn't know who she was. Oh my goodness, how could that possibly happen? And she's been kicking back. She is totally lacing into them and saying, who do you think you are? She went after one MP who had posted a, contri a statement of contrition and she just said, you're a coward. And now in an interview, she's in the States right now, she said, I find it kind of peculiar that MPs would claim they're not aware of my political views. As she points out, the internet is full of information, including videos of her speeches. I very clearly state what my political views are, what my political stance is. And if you didn't get that from those videos, I don't know. You must have done something wrong. So sort of double damage, I guess. These people have to take it for having met with her. And now they have to take it for pretending not to know who she is and for appearing to be kind of stupid about it. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.